This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for February 4, 2024. The title of the message is Blessed Persecution. Good morning. Uh, let me just, uh, I, I'm sorry to, to do this. Um, if the elders could uh, meet afterwards really quick, uh, just after the service, um, maybe here up in the front, uh, I, I'd really appreciate that. And, uh, and just to give you a little bit of background the, with the relevant conference, uh, we're really excited about that because we get a chance to hear uh, Dr. Stefan Sinchea uh, speak on, on faith and science and his own research. Uh, he'll be leaving us to start a lab or, or to grow a lab, uh, an NIH lab in, in Texas. And so we, this is an opportunity for us to get to hear uh, you know, his work and, and see how, how his faith permeates everything he does. And, and I'm looking forward to, to his talk, as well as Jack Van Drunen, who recently wrote an article in New Horizons, our denominational magazine, on Christianity and, and artificial intelligence. Uh, he's a doctoral candidate down at, at UC Irvine. Uh, very, very smart, uh, a godly young man, and as well as Derek Rishmawi, who is the RUF pastor at University of California at Irvine, to kind of bring it all together. Uh, faith and science, the gospel, uh, that you can, you, can be, you can grow in your faith, you can be a strong Christian, uh, study science, live in a modern world, and, uh, and follow Jesus, that those things are not at odds, but they work together for the good of his people. So uh, if you know a college student or, or a, young, uh, uh, a young adult who is interested in these things, uh, invite them. We're going to continue to um, advertise, and, and, um, and so we want to invite the whole church as well as anyone you know. If you would turn with me now in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, we've been going through the Beatitudes as the opening segment of our overall series through the Sermon on the Mount. And so this morning's message constitutes the last uh, section of the Beatitudes, and, and it's a, what a wonderful Summary uh, and conclusion to the Beatitudes. Uh, and uh, so we're real, I'm, I'm really excited to bring God's word here. Uh, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him for his help. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for uh, the blessings that they bestow and describe and hold out to your people. Help us to appropriate them. Help us to own them for ourselves and, and help them to shape who we are and point us to the character of your kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you bless me, uh, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples said to him, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. May he add his blessing to it this morning. Can you imagine living in a country where it's illegal to be a Christian? Can you imagine laws uh, being passed, making going to church illegal? So if you go to a church, you can be arrested, jailed, tortured, and even killed. I heard a story recently of a couple who went to an evangelical church in a Middle Eastern country and in order to enter in, they had to be searched and they had to go through a metal detector uh, with armed security because there had been recent attacks uh, uh, against Christian churches, fires, uh, gunfire. Um, and so uh, they didn't stop going to church. They just tried to uh, mitigate the dangers as much as they could, but they also knew the risks. Uh, or hearing stories about going to church in China, uh, going into small buildings, small churches of secret underground groups. Uh, and there's some churches that have grown underground, and it's a hidden, it's kind of an open secret, but more recently by uh, the Chinese uh, leadership, they started cracking down on Christian churches. And so... You know, what if your pastor and your elders were just arrested and you don't know where they are? It's, they were secretly detained. Who knows if they're, getting, if they're being tortured and, and even killed? Would you still go to church? For preaching the gospel, let alone following and, and following Jesus. If you knew that you could go to jail or even lose your life, would you still go to church? Would you still be a Christian? Would you still follow Jesus? Or, or maybe uh, a more subtle persecutions, right? Th those are really easy, overt stories of persecution. But what about subtle ones? Softer persecution. You know, what if your boss always talks about how he hates evangelical Christians for being so intolerant about everything, right? Would you, try to, would you even try to share the gospel with him or her, right? If, if your boss said to you, hey, what did you do this weekend? Would you share that you went to church and you heard the gospel and had fellowship and uh, grew in your faith? Or would you just kind of skip over 
a little, or, or just maybe allude to it, but not tell it directly. Uh, would you avoid talking about Jesus so that you can keep your job, or at least, you know, not be in the doghouse with your boss? This morning we come to Jesus' last beatitude on the blessing of persecution. That sounds like a misnomer, right? Can persecution really be a blessing? Well, Jesus tells us it can be. It is. Right? And, and, that, and so this morning I want us to really consider the question from these verses, how can persecution be a blessing? Why is it in here? Why is it last? Let's take a look at how persecution can be a blessing for those who follow Jesus, for you and for me. First, it reminds us that we are citizens of heaven and that this world is not our home. Look at verse 10. Jesus tells us what persecution means. Right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we read the last beatitude, we have it, we have to re, when we read this last beatitude, we have to read it in light of all the other beatitudes. Right? This is the last one that kind of puts a capstone on the Beatitudes. And all these Beatitudes describe the character of the kingdom of God and the people of God. So who are God's people? What is God's kingdom like? They are poor in spirit, verse 3. They mourn and are meek, verse 4 and 5. A hunger and thirst for righteousness, verse 5. They are merciful, verse 6. They are pure in heart and peacemakers, verse 7 and 8. So when God's kingdom people live out these characteristics in their lives in this world, they will show themselves to be citizens of God's kingdom. It's meant to be distinguishing characteristics, right? Not accommodating, uh, 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 into integrating Characteristics, right? These are meant to be differentiating characteristics from the rest of the world. Right, that's why we're going to look in the, in the next section on being salt and light, right? That's, that's the characteristic of who we are as we live out these beatitudes, these characteristics. And I think this is what Peter means when he calls Christians strangers and aliens, right? Not literal aliens, but, but resident aliens, people who are citizens of another country temporarily living in a different one. And when they live in, temporarily in a different country, they live as much as they can as uh, uh, obeying the laws that they can, but they're not going to give up their citizenship in the other country, they're not going to give up all of their cultural, social, uh, and family and relational uh, characteristics. Uh, it's very much like how um, you have expatriates from other countries living here. They have accents. They dress kind of differently. They act a little differently. Uh, and they still hold on to their citizenship. 
and so they are going to stick out. We are resident aliens living uh, for just a while in the, in the kingdom of this world, but our citizenship is in heaven. Paul puts it this way, that because of our faith in Christ through the gospel, we have been saved by being delivered from our previous citizenship, our previous uh, life under the domain of the kingdom of darkness, and that we are transferred, we've delivered into, redeemed for the kingdom of God's beloved son, Colossians 1.13. And that means then our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we wait, now as we live as citizens of heaven, it's gonna, we're going to look different. We're going to talk different. We're going to act differently. Um, we're not necessarily going to dress differently, but it, we may. I mean, de- depending on how the culture goes. Uh, and our priorities are going to be different. Our, uh, we're going to uh, be different. And so we're going to stick out from, from the crowd. And it means as we live out our citizenship as Christians, uh, we're going to stick out, be singled out, maybe even kicked out and pushed out. This is what it means to be persecuted. You know, when I was being an immigrant, the son of, uh, being an immigrant who is a naturalized citizen, when my family came in the early 70s, there weren't a lot of Asians, let alone Koreans, uh, living in, in my community. I didn't look like the other kids. I didn't dress like them. Uh, I, I was still a Korean citizen uh, for, for most of my uh, teenage life. And I remember bringing uh, Korean food for lunch uh, in, in elementary school and, and just how the other kids would just laugh and make fun of what I was eating. Uh, it, it, it brings back memories. Ew, it, it smells so bad. What is that? Seaweed? Gross. <laughs> oh, how things have changed uh, over 40 years, right? I mean, it's like sushi, like, you know, it's like, but, um, or kimchi. I mean, it, it's just so interesting to hear how many, you know, TikTokers love to make their own kimchi. And I'm like, man, you know, I feel like I'm living in, a, in another planet now. But, but, uh, but they singled me out because I was different and my citizenship was far away. And the same goes for you and me when we are singled out and persecuted for living differently, for being citizens not of this world, but citizens of the kingdom of God. And so what does it say about our lives if no one ever singles us out about anything? What does it mean for us then to not be persecuted for living differently? See, how we live reflects where we come from, where our citizenship lies. And herein lies the hidden blessing of persecution. It reminds us that we are living as citizens of heaven and not of this world. 
If we are not being persecuted in some way, subtly or more openly, then maybe we need to think about where our hope and our values lie. Maybe we're really living as citizens of this world masquerading as Christians. We're just going with the flow rather than following Jesus. And if we're being persecuted, singled out or ridiculed or even hated for doing the right thing, following Jesus, then we know we are on the right track. It's when we're too comfortable in the world, when we're too friendly with the world and the world is too friendly with us, that's where the problem uh, arises. James says it this way, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So here's the challenge. Here's why persecution is a blessing. Is that when we get too comfortable, we become conformed and we become, in essence, citizens of this world in unrighteousness participating and, and approving of and, and, uh, appro- and living out uh, the unrighteous and sinful ways and values that the world thrusts upon us. We're being uh, institutionalized. This reminds me of a, uh, a scene in, in, in the movie Shawshank Redemption where an elderly man who had been imprisoned for 60 years He became institutionalized. He was so shaped by his life in the prison that when he was finally paroled, he didn't know how to live out in the world, and so he killed himself. And so the other prisoners are are, are really mourning his death, and they're like, he was institutionalized. And what that meant, meant was he got so comfortable in the prison that he couldn't live outside of it. And I think that really speaks to how we can be institutionalized in this fallen world so that one day when we think about the kingdom of God, it's someplace that we don't want to be. And persecution is the opposition that reminds us that this is not our home. Don't get too comfortable here because if you do, it's deadly for you. You should be uncomfortable so that you want to go to heaven. (laughs) You want to follow the Lord. That's where your joy lies. That's where your heaven is, where your treasure is. And so you can live and lose everything. But if you have heaven, you're okay. This is all temporary. Don't live as if it's eternal. Secondly, it also reminds us that we are identified with Jesus, who himself was also persecuted. In verse 11, he tells us uh, what persecution is. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. And then he tells us why. On account, on account of, or, or, or another way to put it is for my sake. And so what does that mean? It means on account of our faith in Christ, right? This is at the heart of being a Christian. 
Uh, not how good we are or, or how good works, um, uh, the, the number of, and the quality and the quantity of the good works that we perform, but our faith in Christ, receiving all that Jesus offers to us in the gospel, in his life, death, and resurrection, so that everything he has, everything he is, becomes ours as if we had done them. Uh, it, it means believing in him as a true historical figure born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, born in our humanity, but fully God, come to live the perfect life of obedience that we could not, come to fulfill the promises of God as the seed of the woman, the true son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed, the true Israel, the true son of David, the Messiah, the Savior of sinners. That he came to take our sins and bear our penalty and punishment as he suffered and died in our place on the cross. And after being buried four day, three days, he rose again to new and everlasting life. And it is that life that he gives to us by faith. That we are born again. The old, has come, uh, the old is gone, the new has come. And all of these blessings in Christ we receive by faith. And the world is going to hate us, or at least ridicule and mock us openly or more subtly, because our faith means that our loyalty is not to the kings, the princes, uh, the patterns, the institutions of this world, but our loyalty is to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the world cannot accept that. This is why, for example, the Romans persecuted the early church because they, they were accused of being disloyal to Caesar because they called Jesus Lord. Or why Kim Jong-un in North, in North Korea tortures and puts to death Christians because they worship Jesus as Savior and God rather than uh, Kim Jong-un and, and, uh, and the other dictators, his father and grandfather. Not only does it mean on account of faith in Christ, but it also means on account of being identified with Christ through our union with Christ. Right? We're born again and we trust in Christ and through that faith in Christ we are united by faith spiritually to Christ so that we become one with him and he with us. That we are in him and he is in us spiritually. Like a husband and a wife, we become one with Jesus and so we are identified with him. Uh, this is a, and this is why we describe ourselves together as God's people as the body of Christ. That when we hurt, when we are persecuted, through this mysterious union and, and the identification that we have with Christ, Jesus is also experiencing the pain of it. When, when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he had been persecuting and killing Christians, when Jesus... When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, do you remember what Jesus said? He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so we are so identified with Jesus that we 
that when we are persecuted, Jesus is persecuted. And the vice versa, and here's the point, because Jesus was persecuted, we are being persecuted too. We will be persecuted. Paul, put, Paul summarizes this identification and union this way. He says this in Galatians, Galatians 2, 2, 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? If we're identified with Christ, then it means we represent him very much like ambassadors represent a head of state. And so how other people feel about that head of state, they will feel about us. Jesus told us, if they persecuted me, they will. Not that they might or that there's a possibility. He says, they will. They will also persecute you. And that's, that's the verb that I think we kind of dance around. <laughs> Lord, I hope it's not going to be me. But the passage, Jesus says, they will persecute you if we identify with Christ and he, and he identifies with us. See? And this is, why after the, this is why the apostles, after being beaten in Acts 5, 41, uh, they were beaten because they were preaching the gospel and they were told not to and they they were, they were like, okay, well, we can't not preach the gospel, so, so uh, we'll, we'll take the beating. And then when they left, they left, uh, Luke says in, in Acts, they left rejoicing. Why? That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. See, so if you're, if you're being persecuted, because you're being identified with Christ, uh, it is an honor. I know, it, I know some of you are thinking, Man, I don't want to suffer. How, how can it be an honor? Well, you, you're representing the Savior of sinners, the Son of God, the one who loved you so much he died for you, the one who walked in your humanity, who knows your every weakness and frailty and temptation. He knows what you're experiencing. He experienced it himself for you. And you have the great honor of suffering for him. Maybe some of us are ashamed of Jesus. And, and we don't count it as an honor to be persecuted, to be ridiculed and mocked for Jesus. Maybe we just want to keep our mouths shut, you know, not rock the boat. If people don't know I follow Jesus, then they won't, they won't dislike me. And, um, and so we're avoiding persecution. But friends, brothers and sisters, persecution is a blessing because it reminds us who, who saved us. Uh, who represents us, who died for us. And so we can suffer for him. We can die for him. Lastly, it reminds us not only of our citizenship in heaven and our identification with Christ, but it also sustains us. Persecution sustains us with the hope of heaven. Look at verse 12. He says, Rejoice and be glad. 
Jesus knows that we're going to suffer and it's a temptation for us to just concentrate on the suffering. But he wants us to step back and see the bigger picture and find the joy in it. Now, he's not telling us to simply buck up, take it with a stiff upper lip. He's not telling us to, uh, in spite of the suffering, you know, just tell yourself to, to uh, rejoice in it. You know, just, just uh, grin and bear it and, and, and have joy as you suffer. No, he's not doing that. He's giving us a reason to rejoice, a reason to be glad in the midst of our persecution. What is it? Look at what he says. For your reward is great in heaven. See, he wants us to focus on what we gain, not on what we lose in persecution. I think sometimes we get lost when we go through suffering and persecution, we get, we, we get lost in what we lose. We mourn it over it as if it was the, our hope in life, right? And that's where we reveal some of our idols. Uh, when, if we were to ever lose our job for following Jesus and our hope was there and we lose it, of course we're going to mourn. Of course we're going to feel like it's a curse from God. But Jesus is telling us, don't put your hope in what you lost. Put your hope in what you already have, what you've gained in the hope of heaven. <coughs> Persecution can be so painful and hurt so much. The loss of comfort, happiness, peace. We can lose the love of parents, friends, jobs, homes, livelihoods. We can lose everything but here, friends, brothers, and sisters, here's what we cannot lose. Here's what we gain and will never be taken away, the reward of heaven. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we can earn or merit heaven as a reward. The, the way in which Jesus is talking about reward is something that we just gain. And in, in, in verse 10, it's something that we already have. And so if we fix our eyes on what we already have, like a goal, then, and we, then we see the suffering uh, as part of the pathway, and we keep our eyes fixed on that goal, then we can go through, we can suffer through anything. Now, I don't say that lightly. The reason why I can say that is because the weight of the glory that God promises in heaven far outweighs the present sufferings that we can experience in this world. If we only knew how great the glory of heaven was, we would gladly suffer persecution. Not, not as a uh, sadists, not as stoicists, but as John Piper describes, Christian hedonists, where the joy of heaven is what drives us in all that we do. We can suffer, we can lose everything, so that because we already have heaven. Not only 
not only is it the, um, being fixed upon the future, but he also wants to focus on the promise of the greater joy. You see, we can rejoice in suffering because God promises us the eternal joy of heaven. This is what Paul means when he, when he says in first, uh, this is what Peter means, excuse me, when he says in 1 Peter 4, 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, sharing in his suffering as we are being persecuted in, in, in this, in this uh, present time means that we are going to share in his glory. You cannot share in his glory if you aren't sharing in his suffering. Think of persecution also as a winnowing or a weaning from the temporary joys of this world so that you can enjoy the eternal joy of heaven. It forces us to look for a more secure and lasting joy that persecution can never take away. See, if your happiness is bound up with not being persecuted, then your joy is a short-sighted joy. It can be taken away in the blink of an eye. You don't even have to be persecuted to have that joy taken away with, uh, from you. You could just lose your job because they're, 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 they're cutting back on employees. You uh, can make a bad investment and lose all your money, right? Or the one that you love uh, gets cancer and they're, they're going to die. But if we fix our joy our hope in the greater lasting joy promised to us in heaven, then even in the midst of our sorrows, we can rejoice. We can persevere. And we can see the bigger picture that the one who, uh, the things that we lose, we're reminded of the greater treasure that we have in heaven. The job that we lose reminds us of, of uh, the, God's promises to always be with us. He'll always provide for us. Or, or when the loved one we, we, uh, is diagnosed with cancer and the thought of losing them is breaking our hearts, in Christ, through faith, they have eternal life, we have eternal life, and we can rejoice together in heaven to worship the Lord in glory forever and ever. You may lose them for a moment, but you will gain them for eternity in the gospel. That's the difference persecution, the blessing of heaven makes. And this is why Paul can say, I have suffered the loss of all things right, on account of Christ and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. We can only rejoice in persecution if we see the reward of heaven as the greater gain. Friends, brothers, and sisters, if following Jesus meant losing your family, friends, work, home, everything, and all you had was Jesus, uh, would you follow him? Would you be happy with him? I love how um, 
Corrie ten Boom describes this when she lost everything in the concentration camp in, during, a, uh, during World War II for, for hiding uh, Jews from the Nazis. And when she lost everything, when she suffered so profoundly for following Jesus, she, she said, you know, when Jesus is all you have, you realize Jesus is all you need. And persecution teaches us that precious lesson. Great is your reward in heaven. So friends, brothers and sisters, when people persecute you, when they ridicule you and reject you for following Jesus, remember that your citizenship is in heaven You're you're identified with Christ, and he identifies with you. And your ultimate joy is with him in heaven. He is what makes heaven heaven. He is what you gain when God promises you the reward of heaven. And when you realize that, like Paul, you can count everything as loss for the sake of gaining him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blessing of persecution. It may not seem like a blessing, Lord, when we're in the midst of it, but it is a blessing, Lord, uh, to point us to you, to give us the great privilege to suffer for you And it fixes our eyes on you. Lord, bless us, Lord. Uh, We may not experience persecution the way that other folks do throughout the world. But uh, Lord, help us. Help us to savor Jesus ever more deeply, however subtle and however small the persecution we may experience. We indeed confess it is light. uh, But... Uh, We identify with all those who are suffering now so that together we would know that the kingdom of heaven is ours. Bless us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.